Welcome to the podcast by Little Honey Money. Wellness, support, and wisdom for new motherhood in the modern world. Hi, I'm Erica. And I'm Joanna. And you're listening to the podcast by Little Honey Money, where we talk about all things wellness and support for new motherhood while growing our own tech baby called Little Honey Money. We've created a new kind of baby registry. We call it the mother and baby registry, helping moms get exactly what they need when they need it. We'll be sharing a lot about that throughout our podcast. On this podcast, you'll hear personal experiences and opinions that are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. As always, seek advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding medical topics or otherwise relating to your own health. And although we try to keep it light, delicate subject matter does come up and may be triggering for some people. Having said that, we hope you enjoy our conversation and gain something positive from it. And now let's kick off today's episode. Today we have Mahaley Patel joining us. Mahaley is a licensed marriage and family therapist specializing in perinatal mental health. We're both very excited you're here today. Welcome, Mahaley. Thank you. Likewise, I'm excited to be here. So Mahaley, we always like to start off with asking our guests, you know, where you are currently in your motherhood journey. Yeah. So I have a daughter who's six. She just turned six last week and I'm pregnant with second daughter due in January. Oh, so congrats. Almost a girl, another girl. Oh, yeah. Another girl. You. What is an important wellness ritual practice or personal outlet that helps you maintain your balance? Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> balance is an interesting question. I mean, on a good day, right? It's like all the things that I love to do. It's like some type of exercise. I'm in and out of like dabbling with meditation. So I'm not perfect on that, but I like to incorporate some type of like breathing exercise. I do a lot of breathing exercises throughout the day and just kind of remind myself to breathe, especially if I get anxious or overwhelmed or stressed. And sleep. Sleep is a huge one for me. I'm really diligent with like going to bed at a good hour you know, I have to get up obviously and get my daughter ready for kindergarten. So I don't get to sleep in as, as late as I would like to, but I try to be really diligent about that. Lately, as of the last year, I've been trying to be a little more mindful about social media usage. So that's been a big one for me, like what I'm consuming, how much I'm consuming it, putting timers on apps and things like that. Oh, good one. Yeah. yeah. I've tried to be, and I've had a lot of clients do it as well. And I've seen really good benefits from it. And then I'm a big reader. I love to listen to audiobooks. If I can incorporate that in my daily life, that makes me really happy as well. And then just family time, you know, at the end of the day. That's so great. Yeah. What are some of the timers you use? Is it like um to time you? Because I have that one on my phone that's like like they lock me out of Instagram and then I just like ignore it. <laughs> yeah. That is there a better that's on an iPhone? And I'm sure yeah. there's a better one. I don't know what it is, but you can choose to like you can set the limit. You can say, remind me in another 15 minutes or like ignore it for the day. Listen, on a bad day, like I go down rabbit holes like everyone else does, right? But on a good day, I'm like, oh, this is the end. Yeah. I'm so proud when I get that notification at like 9 p.m. I'm like, I went through the whole day and didn't get until now. When I get it at like 8 a.m., I'm like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) It's like the worst. Yeah. That's the difference Um, between a a good day and a bad day with balance is when you get that notification at seven in the morning. Yeah, I know all those things for sure. I agree with you on sleep. I think sleep is just so number one. But what are some of the things that help you be able to ease into going to sleep and having a restful night's sleep? I love to sleep. So that's one thing I have going for me. It's like, I always say it's like my gift, you know, I'm just able to put aside kind of everything that happens 
that day. Sometimes if I'm feeling really overwhelmed, I'll do like a brain dump list of things I need to do so I can just get it out of my head and think about it the next day. And I don't have to think about it when I'm trying to go to bed. Magnesium's great. I take magnesium every night. I'm not a bath person, but this pregnancy, I've been doing baths, not every night, but a couple nights a week. And that's been really great. I've also used to get up religiously for years before my daughter woke up. That's been really hard for me to do this pregnancy. So I've actually been doing yoga at night instead of in the morning, which I would normally do it in the morning prior to second pregnancy. And that's actually been really great helping me sleep. Ooh, Shavasana straight into bed. Love that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's been really, really great. Sounds really nice. I love working out in the morning, but I feel like working out at night is actually really good for sleep. Magnesium, I'm obsessed with calm tea. I've been doing it all through my pregnancy. Oh, I well. haven't done the tea. I just do the supplements. Do you like the tea? Yeah, I do. Because I like something warm at night. I feel like it's like really nice baths. Same, like really just really into baths. But I sit there with my thermometer because, you know, you're not supposed to be over like what, 102. So I'm like Mm -hmm. in the bath with the thermometer making sure the water is not too hot and like sticking my stomach out. And Josh walked in and he was like, you're such a weirdo. I was like, no, I feel like I don't want to cook the baby. That's so good. But yeah, all those things. (laughs) So Mahalia, I'm curious what inspired you to pursue your specific line of work? It's something I've thought about. I had dabbled in and out of and like thought about since I was a teenager. I was always really interested in why people are the way that they are and why people behave the way they do and why they think the way that they do. You know, I was on various different like courses in careers throughout my life and then decided to go back to school to pursue my master's when I was in my later 20s. And then I was going to go down a totally different path. I was going to work with individuals that were struggling with addiction. That was like the thing that I wanted to do. And then after I had my daughter, that kind of all changed. It was sort of open to this whole new world of perinatal mental health and kind of all that came with it. And I think what struck me the most was the lack of support and lack of help and lack of people focusing in that area, specifically for mental health. And so that changed the whole trajectory for me. Obviously, my own experiences within that journey, becoming a mom, that was the biggest. So, I mean, I did a total 180. Do you feel like since then, since that time when there was a lack of focus on maternal mental health, has it changed? I think it's starting to. I think that there's more attention being brought to perinatal, postpartum mood and anxiety disorders I think there's more attention being brought to services. I mean, much like the work you guys do, right? Services that are available to women out there to help them through this journey, not just related to pregnancy, right? But also related to postpartum. And I think in the same way that if you look at the last several years, there's been a lot of attention focused now on pregnant individuals. I think you're going to start to see that same thing happen postpartum. I think the same attention that we've started to give to pregnancy, I hope, translates into the postpartum period. Right. So, I mean, it's equally, if not even more important. I mean, now you have this child that you're taking care of in every way the mother feels and the way that she's coping Mm -hmm. will reflect on the way she's able to be there for her child. Like I think about that all the time. Like pregnancy for me, I feel very luckily has been very kind of like a breeze. Like the baby's just kind of cocooned in my stomach, you know, it's taken care of, but it's gonna be a whole nother ballgame when the baby's actually here. And 
you know, like my energy levels, my ability to like co-parent, I mean, everything. It's nice to hear that you're seeing a shift in that. I feel like, and what I noticed is like when I was pregnant, I was mentally still the same person that I was before I was pregnant. I mean, I was like, you know, a little different, but I still felt totally like me. But then becoming a mom completely changed me just like in my mental and emotional, like it was something completely different than anything I've ever experienced. Yeah, you are. The circumstances are totally different. And I feel like I really fell into that trap that I see a lot of clients and friends fall into where during pregnancy, there's so much focus on getting all the right cleaning products and cleaning up your diet and movement and sleep and all of the wellness things. And that's all great. I'm not saying that there's shouldn't be that focus there. But then it's like, where does it all go once you have the baby? And I really fell into that trap of it's got to be the right stroller and I've got to have the right birth doula and birth needs to be a specific way and look a specific way. And I really didn't give much thought to what parenthood and postpartum was going to look like. And so that's one of my biggest goals in working with clients. If I'm lucky enough to get them in their pregnancy and not just postpartum is to like Mm. help them shift that focus, not to say those things aren't important and we can't talk about them, but also like we need to take a well-rounded look here and look at the whole picture. Yeah. I'd love you to dive into that more. Like what is some of the work that you do in guiding the women from being pregnant to postpartum, like transitioning into motherhood? Well, a lot of birth work, again, if I'm lucky enough to get a client who's pregnant that I can then kind of work with them through the pregnancy and the transition into postpartum doesn't always happen that way. But if I'm lucky enough to get them that early on, I like to look at what their expectations and hopes are around birth to really see like how strongly are they attached to that idea. Not that that idea can't happen or won't happen, but just to say that birth looks really different for everyone, right? And we don't want to set ourselves up in a way that we're so attached to a specific outcome and a specific way of doing something, but then we become a candidate for something like birth trauma or increased likelihood for like a PMAT or something like that. So do a lot of work around expectations around birth. I also just like to start the conversation around parenthood and support. And if they have a partner, right? Like what does that look like? And what have the conversations been around partners supporting them and partners being involved what does family support look like? What does friend support look like? You know, mm-hmm. who's going to be making meals? Who's going to be doing the laundry? Yes. Shifting All the focus. Yeah. Shifting the focus less on stress around, again, like the right stroller right. or the right car seat. Into... Or the nursery being perfect in the way it's sure. supposed to be. My mother-in-law keeps asking sure. me about that. I was like, I've just been working on like acupuncture and like working out my body. Like, I'm sorry, I've not gone there yet. Yeah. So I try to steer clients away from that. Again, not to say that they can't focus on it and it can't be something fun for them to do or to you know bond with their friends over or whatever. But just to say like, again, let's look at the whole picture. And then if I'm really lucky their partner will come in for a couple of sessions and we'll do some work around that, but that doesn't always happen. That's been a fear of mine. And you start feeling it during pregnancy as a woman with how much, and not that it's their fault, but how much men just aren't really able to do much for you while you're pregnant, you know, massage your feet, give you a back massage, you know, be sweet, pick you up food, but you're just like, you're really going through everything. And I think a lot about after like, how we can prioritize our relationship and how we can prioritize our communication and frustrations and just the balance of 
parenting because it's going to completely change our relationship. Mm-hmm. So I love that you touch on that because that's definitely been kind of something coming up for me just thinking about it. Yeah, and I think a lot of women think about that. I don't think they do either. And I think sometimes no one knows what parenthood is going to look like for them, right? No one knows exactly like what their relationship is going to look like once they become parents, even if they're second or third time or fourth time parents, right? Because it's mm-hmm. different each time. It's different baby, a different experience. But I just think even having an awareness around things are going to shift and what is that going to mm-hmm. look like and how can we best be prepared for it? Just even that alone is helpful. Even if you don't have a perfectly hatched out plan, which who can even have that? But I just think having an awareness around it because so many don't. You mentioned so many other great things and I want to dive into all of them. But one thing that you said was about birth trauma. I'd love to just kind of dig into that a little bit. If we look at the definition of trauma, it's sort of defined by a distressing event that overwhelms someone's ability to cope. And then that results in a whole other host of things, right? So like a decreased sense of self, feelings of overwhelm for individuals that meet the criteria for something like post-traumatic stress disorder, flashbacks, nightmares, intrusive thoughts, things like that. So when I look at birth trauma, a lot of times you look at a couple things. You look at something medically happening, right? Where it's like an emergency C-section that, you know, it's an emergency, right? So it wasn't planned. It's something that happens really, really, really quickly. And it overwhelms that person's ability to cope with the events that are going on. And then, you know, sometimes too, like I was saying in terms of birth preparation and expectations, sometimes trauma just happens when things go differently from what we expected and it wasn't the plan. And I think that happens a lot with birth. We have this idea of having, you know, an unmedicated birth or a vaginal birth or a home birth. And I think those things are great things, but sometimes that doesn't happen. And so then what, you know, if you are not prepared or able to cope in the moment with the rate at which things are moving, it usually leads people into some type of birth trauma That more often than not, I would say the majority of clients I work with with birth trauma, which are quite a bit of the clients that I work with, don't realize it until later on. It's very similar to something like a PMAD, right? Where you don't usually get people until they're like well into their postpartum period. I don't know what a PMAD is. Can you define that? PMAD is a perinatal or postpartum mood or anxiety disorder. So things like postpartum depression, perinatal depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, things like that. Gotcha. And so a lot of the individuals I work with meet the criteria for one or more PMADs, right? But you usually don't get them until later kind of in the journey. I mean, it's pretty rare that I get a client four or five, six weeks postpartum. It's like I'm dealing with X, Y, and Z. It's usually months down the road, if not a year or two down the road. How do they even know that that's what that's from. I mean, I guess it's just what we're doing here today and what you're doing to promote this idea that that could be what it is. Like imagine just six months later being like, I don't know what's wrong with me. My baby's perfectly healthy. My relationship is great. Why do I feel this way? How are women, how are they realizing that that's what it is and finding you? Well, sometimes they don't. You know, I always ask about a person's birth. Sometimes they don't know or they don't come for birth trauma, right? They come Mm -hmm. because they're having intrusive thoughts or because they're struggling with just parenthood in general, or maybe they're having issues with their partner. And then it's not until we kind of do some of that like deeper work or look at what their pregnancy was like or their birth experience was like that we start to uncover 
you know, an emergency C-section or Mm -hmm. they wanted and were trying to have a home birth and they had a a hospital transfer, right? Mm -hmm. That happened really quickly or they hemorrhaged or something like that. I've had clients that have had to have like hysterectomies and things like that. So a lot of times to answer questions, they don't know. You get a few clients that are like, no, 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 no. I was supposed to have this kind of birth and it was supposed to look this way. And I hired the doula and I did all the prep, the classes and I did the breathing and I ended up here. And you do get those clients. And for that, we usually do like a more targeted approach, but sometimes it takes a lot of digging to realize that a client does have some type of birth trauma. I love hearing this from you because I feel like it sounds like you can get ahead of it. Like if she starts like early on, it's better than kind of building up and being something that comes later that seems like hard to identify on where it's coming from. Yeah. And I think too, language around that is really important. Like I always try to ask people if, again, I have them early enough, what are your birth preferences or what were your birth preferences? I try to avoid using the word plan because again, like that implies that it was supposed to be this way and things go yeah. in a different way. It almost always goes a different way though, doesn't it? Totally. But I just put my quote unquote so. birthing plan together with Lori. I have to tell her not to call it that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a plan, Lori. It's an idea. <laughs> it's a preference. I think a lot of times for someone that does have birth trauma or did have a really strong preference of what birth is going to look like, it's, you know, yes, you have the pregnancy, right? But it's really a person's like entrance into their parenthood journey with that specific baby. Again, even if it's not their first child, right? It's their entrance into parenthood with that specific child. And so if it doesn't go the way that they expected it to or wanted it to, if they feel like they did something to feel, which I would say 100% of my clients with birth trauma feel like, they did something wrong, it kind of sets you up for that in motherhood. Wow. And do we know anything about how a birth experience, whether it's trauma or not, transpires in that child's life or in the relationship with the mother and the child? I think that can look really different depending on the person. And I would say for the majority of the clients that I work with, the trauma and the results that come from that are so internalized. Just in the work that I've done, I haven't seen it translate into necessarily like a bond with your baby or things like that. I think it can just like any other type of, you know, PMAD can, right? It can affect the bond that you have with your baby, but usually it's so internalized. Yeah. It's, I did something wrong. I could have done more. I should have done more. I should have done less. I should have done something differently that it really goes back to like a diminished sense of self and affects their self-esteem more so than I think how they treat their baby or their loved ones. It's about how they treat themselves. So can you please explain for our audience how women are typically evaluated or screening for postpartum depression, i.e. PMADs? The better question would be how they're not screened. Oh, they're not? (laughs) So true. You know, I went to my gynecologist, like every time I go right now, they give me this dumb paper that in front of these women that are maybe not that friendly, please fill this out. And it's like one to three, are you having suicidal thoughts? Like, I'm going to answer that right there and be like, yes, (laughs) you always just like, no, no, I'm fine. And then you just kind of like sit down and wave your appointment. So I love that you brought that up, but I was hoping you'd say something like, well, that's how I've been screened through my pregnancy. Yeah. And that's interesting because I don't even know that that is everyone's experience of being screened at all. I think that 
in my first pregnancy, I wasn't screened at all during my pregnancy. And then at my six week checkup, right, I was given like a questionnaire to fill out and the general consensus of like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, well, I am so sleep deprived. I'm not sleeping more than two hours. I feel like I got hit by a train. I have no idea what just happened to me. You're like, it's totally normal. You're fine. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's fine. You're fine. You're great. Things are going well. You're cleared to like go run five miles. Great. Perfect. And that was the only screening that I ever had. This pregnancy, I haven't had any screenings. I always ask a client, what brings you to therapy? And usually try to get a sense of how they got referred to me. I will say once in a while, an OB does do a referral. A client or a patient will come to them, say, I'm having, I'm experiencing anxiety, panic attacks, intrusive thoughts, symptoms of depression, things like that. And they'll have a conversation about medication and an OB that is well-trained and pays attention to mental health will usually say, you know, going to therapy is a really good idea. But I don't think that screening is thorough. I don't think that it's as common and as prevalent as it needs to be. And I think that we are doing our medical community a huge disservice by not giving them a little bit more training in mental health. And that's all it comes down to, right? Is really just the awareness and the training that they need and don't have. They can't do everything. They do a lot as is. So it's not to knock them or to say that it's their fault in any way. It's just a real area that's lacking in the field. Right. And it's a big problem. The other thing is like, so you're seeing your OB soon after you have your baby, but then you don't like see your OB for a long time. So there's this gap, right? Once Mm -hmm. a year. Yeah. It's the pediatrician now. It's not really about the mom. Hey, it's Erica, and I want to share a quick backstory. When I was pregnant with my first baby, I spent so much time trying to find all the best things for my baby. There are just so many things out there for newborns, and it was really hard to know what we would actually need. But when my baby arrived, I was surprised to find that I really didn't need to spend that much time obsessing over the products for her and for the nursery. I actually needed stuff too. And really, it was the care and the support that we had around our family that made the biggest difference to us. Once I knew this, I was a lot more focused on my own health and the care services for my family. I'm talking about things like doulas, baby nurses, acupuncture, meal deliveries, lactation specialists, fitness classes, and the list goes on. Those were the things that made my new motherhood experience more enriched every day. And honestly, the better off I was, the more my entire family benefited from it. So when I was pregnant with my second baby, I really wanted to find a baby registry that helped me prioritize those things in addition to what I needed for my baby. I just couldn't find one. And I've now talked to hundreds of other moms who have found themselves in that same boat. And that's why I set out to create a new kind of baby registry that challenges the way we shower new moms with gifts, because I'm convinced there's a better way to give them what they really need. And it starts with putting the mother first. So here you go, the baby registry that I was looking for. Little Honey Money. It's here, it's live, and it's ready to help you get what you need when you need it. Check us out at littlehoneymoney.com. But for now, let's get back to our episode. Do you ever find that, you know, women find out later, like beyond the postpartum year or, you know, at some point later that they realize that they've been dealing with a PMAD this entire time? Absolutely. I would say that's a huge percentage of the cases that I come across and that I would say like a lot of colleagues of mine come across. Or maybe I'll have a client who comes in with an older child, right? Two or three and is more struggling with like parenthood type things, tantrums, toddlerhood, preschoolers, adding to their family, all of that. And again, when you get into the history, they'll say things like, 
I definitely had postpartum depression. I just didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, I feel like I've heard that. I've heard that yeah. more than I should have. I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I'm like, oh, that's what I was going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or a client will have had a second child or maybe a third child, and their experience postpartum will look really different from kid to kid. And it's not until then that they realize, oh, with my first, I wasn't okay. Or with my second, I wasn't okay. I had a client who, I've worked with for about a year and a half. That was part of her story. You know, she had some ups and downs, but kind of felt like she breezed through postpartum with her initial child. It wasn't until the second one was born that she's like, well, this is not what I experienced the first time around. And she really struggled with anxiety the second time around where she didn't with her first. Wow. But what do people do if they don't have that experience to compare it to? You know, if there's not like a checks and balances system or no one in their support system is educated or knows to be looking out for these things. Given what the landscape looks like, what are some things that are actionable that you would recommend? Well, I think whatever an individual support system looks like, so whether that's family, friends, partner, them being aware of what to look for. That yes, there is a certain period of transition where it's really normal to see your partner crying, to see them struggling to sleep, right? maybe even see them dealing with some intrusive thoughts or some excessive worry or things like that. But after a brief period of time, if those things are either getting worse and not getting better, or they're just not going away at all, we need to pay attention to that. And I think, again, the focus being on... It's great that the focus is so much on the baby, but not just on the baby, also on the family as a whole. And I also think it's worth noting that men and dads can suffer from postpartum mood disorders as well. It's not just women. So, you know, having a conversation around that, around what that looks like and challenges that they may be going through as well. And if a couple doesn't have great communication before a baby, it's probably not going to get better once the baby's born. So I kind of feel like all new parents should be evaluated. Yeah, I was such a jerk of the second you said that. I was like, what could they be depressed about? (laughs) (laughs) I love your spirit, Joe. Sure. You know, and I think it's tough and there's a lot of comparison, right? Of like, I'm more sleep deprived than you are. I went through this birth experience. You didn't, right? Like I had to physically recover. You didn't, you know, I'm breastfeeding. You're not. And I think all those feelings are really valid and understandable. But if the communication isn't there before, again, like it's probably not going to get better after the baby's born. So taking that 40 weeks that we're all given plus or minus, hopefully to address maybe some issues, underlying issues that exist in your relationship would be a really good thing because communication is a huge, huge part of it. And I think a lot of women don't speak up for fear of judgment or fear of misunderstanding. Misunderstanding for sure. Because I feel like I'm like, well, I had a rough day today. Like, doesn't mean I'm depressed or maybe, you know, by the way, I found the questions that my my doctor asked me because I took a picture. So I was was kind of like, this is interesting. It's two tiers. The first one, is like rate from zero to three. And if you score three or higher, you go to page two. So uh, one to two is just a uh, little interest or pleasure in doing things, which is question one. And then feeling down, depressed, or hopeless. So you go to your doctor's appointment. I'm there. There's a lot of women, you know, and again, the receptionists, they're lovely. They're fine. But it's just, I feel like if I was sent this to my home, maybe I'd feel less potential judgment. If I'm like, I think I might, I don't know. Like maybe I'm feeling a little, it, it just, it doesn't seem I felt like the right place that I wanted to start divulging anything, even if I did feel that way that day. Yeah. By the way, you pulled yourself together to leave the house and do all the things. Right. I'm like dressed up for my day at the office. I'm like, 
maybe. And then if you score through or more, you go to the next one and it gets to questions like poor appetite or overeating, feeling bad about yourself, trouble concentrating, thoughts that you'd be better off dead or hurting yourself in some way. And they're just like papers that you, they have your name on there and then you check the box and you give it back to them. I took pictures because, you know, there's somebody who had been looking into the space of how to create that portal for perinatal support, mental wellness. And then I saw that document and I was like, wow, this is how my doctor's office is handling this. And if I was somebody who was feeling that way, I wouldn't feel comfortable actually filling this questionnaire out to the way that it's been handled now. That's really interesting. And just the fact, like I said, that you were given the questionnaire, whereas like we're pretty much right on track with each other in pregnancy, right? And I haven't been given one thing. So what I did learn is certain states are requiring it now. And I think California is one of those states that require Mm -hmm. kind of mental checks for women. I think even going to your OB, like any OB you're visiting. And I wonder, because you mentioned you had it at your first pregnancy. And I wonder if that was because you were in California at the time, right? Yeah. Now you're Mm -hmm. in Texas? Tennessee. Or Tennessee. So maybe baby steps, but definitely I feel like it seemed like they did it because it was required. So they did it kind of quickly just to figure out a solution. So are there no like online places that you've known that have been kind of successful for women to kind of either screen themselves or like, is there nothing that exists right now? Yeah, you can definitely Google things, right? Like symptoms of postpartum depression or symptoms of postpartum anxiety. Postpartum it seems like a scary support. Google. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, right? yeah. Postpartum Support International is a good, well-established resource for identifying symptoms of the PMAD. And also they're good about, they have a, a network of certified perinatal mental health therapists because, well, all therapists can only work in the state that they're licensed in, but most therapists just work in like one state. So if you get an inquiry that's, you know, you live in Texas and you get an inquiry from New York, right? You can kind of refer them to that database and say, you know, here's a list oh, nice. of who would be good in your area. And now with telehealth, it's a lot easier because you can look in your whole state, <clears throat> not just where you live and not, you know, the specific right. part of the state. Wow. It does say on this website, one in seven moms and one in 10 dads suffer from postpartum depression. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And things that may or may not happen in your pregnancy. So for example, with both pregnancies, I had hyperemesis. What is that? The short form is HG. Basically, it's like a heightened morning sickness and it lasts throughout your whole pregnancy. So like individuals with hyperemesis are more at risk for having some type of perinatal and postpartum mood and anxiety disorder. They're, I think it's one in 10, one in nine or one in 10 have postpartum PTSD. And so there's all kinds of things like that, right? That can happen during a pregnancy, a NICU stay, an emergency C-section, like any type of complication in a pregnancy can also put you at further risk for experiencing a PMAD. Are there any common things you've witnessed amongst maternal women, like over the past couple of years, like with all the changes in the world, are you seeing like more people seeking support, less people, more in person? What are you kind of noticing in terms of the trends that are happening? Well, I think COVID and telehealth did a lot of great things specifically for this field. Didn't do a lot of great things otherwise, but it did great things for people's ability to access mental health services. And a lot of therapists that didn't offer telehealth before, pretty much most do offer it now. So with this specific population, I see a lot of clients during their kids' nap time or after their baby goes to bed, or if their baby is young enough, 
and can, they bring their babies to session, which is a really fun part of the job. So, you know, whereas a mom may not feel that at five weeks postpartum, she can get out of the house and bring her baby to a therapy session. She can sit in the comfort of her own home in front of her computer. So I think it's changed the landscape for the better. That's my personal opinion. I have a lot of virtual clients and I know that a good chunk of them would not come to therapy if they couldn't do it virtually. That's great. I feel that with the time constraints. Yeah, the time constraints are real, especially, you know, for moms that, you know, work outside the home and have more than one kid. And, you know, it's a lot. And, you know, maybe only have a short amount of time for like maternity leave, right? If they're going back to work, then they can really fit that in. And the planning ahead too, to like make an appointment for yourself. You know, like I know it sounds so simple, but I think like when you're just on your 24 hour baby schedule, making an appointment for yourself for like two weeks from now, you're like, how will I know like if I can make that appointment? And then you just, it becomes daunting to even make an appointment. It really does. And so if you can take some of the stress out of that, I think that's really helpful. Obviously, because this is really kind of all that I do, I think my view of how many women are accessing health is probably skewed, right? I think it's like a good chunk of women. But then if I look at the whole picture, I'm like, well, probably not, you know? Probably not. I think there's a lot more growth that needs to happen in the field and a lot of changes that still need to occur. What can we do? What are the changes? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Come on, Haley. We'll invest in you. Let's do it. Let's go change the world. Affordable therapy, mental health services, affordable services across the board, not just mental health. Things like, you know, pelvic floor, physical therapy, um, acupuncture, access to birth doulas, postpartum doulas, overnight support. None of these things are cheap. None of them are cheap. Big companies should be really pushing for insurance coverage, like for their employees. They should I think be. that's something that really came up, you know, when looking at the space in general of how women are supported yeah. and the type of things or packages or services that their health provider within their corporate company, they've probably worked at one to three to five to 10 years is actually not giving them or encouraging them. Like, you know, like I said, my husband's company, the package they give them is pretty great. Like I wish more companies would follow suit and build those relationships in those portals. If there's telehealth platform that could be covered within the insurance, like letting a woman know when she's pregnant, Hey, we offer these, these services for you during your pregnancy, like take advantage. Yeah. I feel like it's just not enough. And hi, that's why little honey money's here in the meantime. Yes. Yeah. We're helping women get some money and support from friends and family for sure, because it's expensive. I mean, all the things that, you know, I'm planning, I'm doing, it's, that's where the bulk of financials are coming from and how incredible if like, you know, insurance or company granted I own my own company. So I, <laughs> I probably need to do that. No, but luckily my husband's company, like I'm on his insurance and they have so many great benefits. Yeah. Most, most things cover that, but it's still a cost. So like outside of, well, even back to, I really do think encouraging women to, a lot of women are already in therapy, but like, how are they maybe shifting their therapy practices from just going from the therapy sessions we do about relationships or work or career kind of going to something that's more into like my life into new in motherhood or my transition or my planning and all of those things. Like, I feel like that'd be something that I kind of wish I would have started doing sooner. And I would encourage friends to do it instead of, because what it sounds like women are typically until it's either too late or they're kind of lost figuring out why do I feel this way instead of kind of being proactive about it and having, I mean, who doesn't love that therapy is great in all forms, (laughs) whether it's relationships, it's, you know, career. And, but this is probably that time that you can really prep yourself to be in the right mindset 
of how you're going to go from being one version of yourself to like an evolved version of yourself, a different version of yourself and not a worse version of yourself. I feel like we had somebody on our podcast. Molly, it's your 2.0. 2.0. She's like, it's almost like it's you. It's greater. It's like, you know, how do we prep for that? Which I thought was a really great way to look at it instead of, oh my God, like my life is over. I'm losing my freedom. And trust me, I've caught myself saying that. Is that what's happening for you, Joe? <laughs> I'm venting. I just, we have Mahalia on just so she can like be my therapist. But no, there are thoughts. Sometimes I'm just like, oh man, like, you know, me and Josh look at each other, like the home won't be quiet like this anymore. You know, like there's just mm-hmm. so many things you're just changing, but instead of looking at the exciting, oh, there's going to be a third fun, cute human here. That's, you know, going to bring so much joy to our lives. So I think getting ahead of that, I think is really something I would encourage. And that I feel like I could have or should have taken more advantage of. Um, Yeah. I wish I had done it in my first pregnancy as well. I wish I had put as much effort as I did on a healthy pregnancy and a healthy birth into a healthy postpartum period. I think things would have looked a lot different, you know, because I was definitely one of those people, right. That had to do the work, had to backtrack and do all the work way later down the road. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to look like that. You can get ahead of it and you can also work through it when it's happening as opposed to a year down the road. And if that's your story, that's also fine too. It's never too late, but I just think making it a part of the conversation, how we've made so many other things a part of the conversation, like this is really needed and next on the list and at the top of the list. Yeah, definitely. And so outside of therapy, which is really promoting like mental well-being and, you know, transition into motherhood and postpartum, what are some other like specialty care services you recommend to the women you're working with outside of just therapy that help them? So if I have them during their pregnancy, we'll look at things like a birth doula, we love doulas. acupuncture, yeah, love doulas, midwives, and if that's where they want to go down, helping them create the support team that they need for their birth preference. Acupuncture is a big one. Massage therapy is a big one. There's a really incredible woman here in Nashville and that's all she does is body work on pregnant and postpartum women. And she's amazing. So like finding people like her for everyone. Pelvic floor therapy is something that I didn't know existed in my first pregnancy. I'm doing it myself. I've had a lot of pain in this pregnancy I didn't have the first time around. And I've had a lot of clients do it. Where, so where's your pain? In my yeah. upper back. Some days are, you know, a lot worse than others. And it's kind of a constant. It kind of never goes away. And I just didn't have that the first time around. So that's something that I was introduced to. I had heard of it. I had heard of it probably for the first time, like about two years ago. But then doing it myself and also having clients do it has been really eye-opening chiropractic care for women that want to do that. I think all of those things are things that I would look at for someone. And then postpartum, looking at support. So meal deliveries, someone to come walk the dog, someone to come clean the house, someone to come fold the laundry, postpartum doulas, placenta encapsulation, if if that's something that they want to do. Overnight support, which I think could be really helpful to so many people. Yeah, um, and also pelvic floor therapy, all of the same things: massage, <laughs> acupuncture, I know, chiropractic care. This it's is why everyone needs to give to someone's little honey money. Those things to me are like gifts. They are the way people can support you, and it's not cheap, you know. So no, it's not. 
But those things for me are so much more valuable because those are things that I carry on from my lifestyle into being a mom. I want to feel healthy. I want to feel good. I want to love to get more body work. I get massages regularly. Like those things just add up, but they have made my pregnancy much better. It's the village. We need the village. Yeah. Like I don't know what I've done if I wasn't working with a trainer two days a week that really just like helped me keep moving that acupuncture, chiropractic, massage, all of those things. Oh yeah. And they should be accessible and available to everyone. You know, I think we'd be looking at very different postpartum experiences you know, and a lot of people too don't know, right? Like I have clients who didn't know that their insurance covered lactation support, you know, mm. so they didn't necessarily, I would bring up like, oh, okay, we're struggling with breastfeeding, right? Like let's get support in there. And it takes some work to like realize like, oh, I get two visits covered or I get three visits covered, right? So I think a lot of it too is just a lack of knowledge. Yeah. Check your insurance for sure. And then there are things that when I started working with Eric on this platform pre being pregnant, I didn't even know were a thing. And I think a lot of women go into this not realizing that could be something that they should consider or could consider to support them along their journey. So well that's how this podcast was born is that we were like, how do we like we were having all these conversations. And then even I had had two babies at that point. I had just had my second when we were starting to formulate this. And there were things that I was just learning about. And I was like, oh that would have been great to know a year ago. And like that would have been great to know six weeks ago. And I think that that's something we've said all all along is like, it's no fun to learn about these things after you don't need them anymore. Like you have to know that they exist. You have to be able to access them and you have to be able to like experience the benefits of them. And I think that like at the end of the day, that's why we're here. We want more women to experience, like have positive and wonderful experiences with motherhood. Definitely. You want like a more of a joy and more of a well-rounded experience, you know, people to look back and say, yeah, that was really hard, but I was really supported in the process. Cause I think that can make all the difference as well too. Is like, sometimes you can't take away the hard, you can't take away the sleepless nights. You can't take away the struggles with breastfeeding or whatever it is. But if a person feels supported, they are so much less likely to experience things like a PMAD or any type of distress or mm-hmm. look back on the experience as a whole and say, wow, that was really that was not a good experience. 100%. And I know sometimes I feel like that kind of guilt when I'm like, can I talk about this? Can I say this, that I actually didn't experience that? It's because I was supported. It's because like I had a doula who, you know, anytime I run into something and I'm like, I'm going to quit breastfeeding. It's day two and this is not going well. It's hard. It's painful. I'm like, I'm done. I can't do it. And she's like, oh no, I'm like lactation consultant. I can come to your house. And I was like, oh, that that's a thing. Okay. And then we get through that hurdle. And then there's the next hurdle. And then it's like, there's always someone or something there to support you. And it's like, so when it does get hard, where do you go from there and who can help you? And there are so many healing hands and so many like support people that can really make the journey so much better. And that's literally why I wanted to create Little Honey Money. Yeah. No, I remember when Erica would like, I mean, this is before we even started Little Honey Money, but she, I'd see her during her pregnancies and just be like, wow, you really figured it out, huh? Like it felt that way because she did. I mean, you always still, I don't know, I saw you a lot. You just had a good attitude about everything. It seemed very like breezy from the outside looking in. And when I spoken to you more, I now know why. But I remember thinking, no, she was just one of the lucky ones. Like there's no way. Like when I'm pregnant, I'm going to be like bedridden and like, <laughs> just like hating my life. But no, like it helps so much. If you think about what you've been said about like, well, you know, if you can't breastfeed, it's just so hard. And you're like, to me though, if I had a good night's sleep, 
and a good meal that morning. And then I had some issues breastfeeding. It wouldn't hit me so hard because the other areas of my life were feeling supported. You know, it's like, okay, like I could take this on because I'm well rested and I'm well fed. Like it's all those things that you do that ultimately like it kind of like supports when you have a hurdle, like Eric Reader point, it's like, well, I can't do that. Okay. Well, like pivot on to do this because the other areas in your life are able to like feel supported. And so I feel like it is possible. And I do feel like I really cultivated the pregnancy I wanted by using the platform or just learning, I think from you, Erica, and also the platform we built and speaking to some, you know, incredible women like you, Mahaley, and just knowing that there's resources out there. Sadly, not available to enough people because I know it is very expensive. It's not very easy to have all these things that like, you know, but little by little, hopefully this becomes a bigger conversation and with women like you really promoting it and hopefully our platform making it seem like something that's proved that it's so needed. It'll just be more accessible to everyone. Yeah, I totally agree. I think what you guys are doing is so important. It's incredible work, you know, and it's super inspiring and it's really helping and making a difference in the ways that women need. Perfect segue to our last question. Yeah. We love to sit, we love to ask. <laughs> it's our favorite non-trick question. <laughs> if you were to describe little honey money in your own words to your friends, family, or clients, how would you describe it? I would describe it as a non-optional resource that every woman needs during her pregnancy and postpartum experience. I think it's another avenue, another outlet to focus on what's really important, focus on what's really necessary, focus on yourself, which isn't easy for a lot of women to do. Much easier to focus on the baby and the strollers and the bouncers, but those things are so temporary and end up at Goodwill. So um, (laughs) I think a lot of women want, you know, like how you were saying, you've cultivated the pregnancy that you've wanted. And what an amazing thing that is to be able to say. And I think every woman wants that. You know, I think that they want to be able to look back on their pregnancy and postpartum and birth experience and cultivate what they want. And then there may be things that are out of their control for them to be able to do that. I think feeling supported is a huge piece of it, like we were saying. And being a part of something like a little honey money is one of the best ways you can feel supported. You know, what better gift than having your family and your friends rally around you and say, I'm giving you this gift. I'm giving you, you know, meal deliveries for when you've been up all night and don't have the energy to make dinner. I'm giving you this massage. I'm giving you chiropractic care, or I want to contribute to you having a birth doula because I want you to feel supported in that process. And I'm not going to be the person to support you there. So I want to get someone that's qualified to be there, right? Yeah, that's the thing. Like back in the day, they used to have a village around them. Like someone would make food and somebody... And like in other cultures, people's family and friends and relatives and neighbors, they do that. But we're in major cities or we're separated from our families. And so if you can't physically help me, then at least give me the resources to be able to get these things that I actually need, you know? Yeah, and I, I crushed it, my little honey money. You I'm did. So, so, I'm so impressed. We have three months of night nanny. I have my doula. Amazing. We're doing post care for food. I mean, it was obviously all women. It was actually most of my friends who have had babies within the last two years. They were the most mm-hmm. giving. Makes sense because moms know what you really need. Because mm-hmm. they know. They know what they know. you really need. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, like a lot of the women that I work with are so hesitant and not used to like making themselves a part of the equation. 
that's what you guys do, right? You make moms a part of the postpartum equation. That's a good one. So Mahili, would love to hear how our listeners can find you if they happen mm-hmm. to be in your area. Yeah. So I work at a group practice called Readiness Counseling. Again, our focus is in perinatal mental health. So that's all we do. We see and treat individuals that are struggling with infertility, loss, conception, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum and kind of everything in between. So that is how you can find me from a work perspective. And I have an Instagram account somewhere out there. I'm not super active on it. <laughs> Maybe that'll help me one of my 2023 goals. Yes, yeah, so there. Is it at, yeah, right? at Mahaley Patel? Or is there an underscore? I, think it's I can't at remember. Mahaley Patel. I think there's an underscore. Yeah. I like the name Ready Nest Counseling. That's cute. Really cute. I'm on the Instagram yeah. now. Well, thank you so much, Mahaley. Really enjoyed just learning more about what you do. And it's so awesome. Please let us know and me know how we can support you in any way as you continue to grow your business and what you do. But yeah, and thank you for all you do. It's awesome. Thank you. And thanks so much for sharing today. And we learned so much. And again, thank you for your time. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast by Little Honey Money. Visit us at www.littlehoneymoney.com and follow along on Instagram at Little Honey Money.